This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. This is Sam. Welcome back. Today, I am joined by Stuart and Gabrielle, founders and CEO and COO, respectively, of Sigma Ratings. Welcome, guys. Perhaps we could start with you guys telling us a little bit about your backgrounds and a little bit about Sigma Ratings. Gabrielle. Thank you so much for having us. We're really happy to be here. I'll just start by telling you a little bit about me. I actually started my career as a lawyer. I was an M&A corporate governance lawyer here at a big firm in New York, and then I transitioned into development finance. And I moved to Switzerland and spent a number of years working in high-risk emerging markets, primarily on risk and governance issues associated with those markets. And it was the issues that I saw working in these markets all over the world that led me to want to work in the space that we're working in now. And then I went back to school and went to spend a year studying at MIT. And that is where I met Stuart. And Stuart had come to MIT with the idea for Sigma, and we met up and started the company. So I'll let him tell you what Sigma is all about. Thank you, Gabrielle. Thank you, Sam, for having us. It's great to be here. So I started my career after 9-11 working for the U.S. Treasury Department, and I was asked to go and stand up the National Counterterrorism Center out in Virginia for 15 months and came back to the Treasury Department and was working away as a senior advisor to an assistant secretary and just didn't feel like there was enough action on 1500 Pennsylvania. And so I asked for another assignment. And the U.S. Treasury Secretary sent me to Afghanistan for two years to be the Treasury attache. And there was plenty of action over in Afghanistan. And that time was spent helping, you know, rebuild and retool the country, but also in combating illicit finance. And then after two years in Afghanistan, I went to serve the U.S. Treasury Department in the Middle East, working between Abu Dhabi and Riyadh primarily on Iran sanctions and also on macroeconomic issues with the Sovereign Wealth Fund, with the Central Bank, and with financial institutions in the region. And then after that, in a brief stint as a consultant, I went to MIT where I met Gabrielle and we launched Sigma Ratings, which in a nutshell is the first rating agency in the world that's focused on governance and financial crime risk. And what we've built is a proprietary country risk model, as well as a way to rate entities all over the world in a programmatic way. Uh, And it's something that we're building out and we're very excited about the potential for. Hugely varied background between you both. When I asked for more work at Motive, they asked me to do podcasts. You got sent to Afghanistan. Um, It doesn't seem quite right, but both of which brought us here today. We were connected by a, a mutual friend, Gareth Jones, and then also, I believe, Danny Lopez, who works closely with Fintech Collective, one of your backers. Gareth is one of the most knowledgeable people on the financial technology space. He always has a totally unique view of how the landscape's changed. What is it that you guys have seen in your careers that you can share with the listeners? How's financial services changing in your mind? Well, look, I think it's changing extremely fast, and I totally agree. Agree. I'm glad that Gareth connected us and, and those guys have an extremely interesting portfolio. We're lucky to be included among that. But, you know, the way I look at the way that the, the market is changing is that it, it really wasn't until September 11th that the regulatory scrutiny on financial crime compliance and governance really kicked in. If you think about it, it wasn't until the 1980s in the United States that money laundering was even criminalized. So this is something that has been relatively new 
But this is something that we've also seen the consequences of getting it wrong. If you think since the financial crisis, global financial institutions have paid $300 billion in fines combined. And there aren't a lot of great solutions out there when you think about how those financial institutions understand who they're working with and what markets they're working with and the risks on a dynamic basis of, of understanding the risk of a counterparty in real time. So you mentioned you're backed by the FinTech Collective. I read on the website that you're backed by MIT as well. Two superb investors to have at the early stages of building a business. How did you get engaged with both of them? What is the relationship with both of them? And what are you looking for from your investor base and possibly future investors? So we got connected with MIT when we were students there. And MIT does a phenomenal job of supporting students and students that are aspiring entrepreneurs. And so we were supported financially with some grant funding in the early days of the company that really allowed us to get things off the ground, as well as office space and, and a lot of other tools and resources that really helped us in the very early days of the company to get to a point where we could step out into the world and actually build the company. So we're really grateful for the connections that we built there. And we really did develop the idea for Sigma at MIT. So we're grateful for that time. In terms of FinTech Collective, we were introduced to them initially by someone who's in our network. And this was long before we were actually raising money. And we just had an opportunity to get to know them over, over the course of, of several months and really clicked with them and, and really liked their investment approach and really liked them as individuals. And I would say that when we were thinking about and choosing who we wanted our investors to be, we had a few things in mind. Specifically, we both wanted to be working with investors that were former operators, that had had hands-on experience actually building companies. This was something that we found incredibly important to us, that we could actually go to on some of the day-to-day -day decisions we needed to make. And they've been through it you know, multiple times before. I'd say that one of the other things that's really important, I, I mentioned, you know, the fact that we clicked with them. There's a little bit of, Stuart likes to call it magic, that you have with your investors. You really have to have, to have that, that magic where there's an understanding, not only of the problem that you're trying to solve, but also an understanding of how hard it is to tackle a problem like this. We're creating an entirely new category here with our risk scores, and this is a new big opportunity. And having investors that really see that and understand that and are going to be alongside with you when you're building something new, it was really important to us. And then I'd say the last thing for us specifically is having investors that have a global network. We're a global business. We work in markets all over the world and wanting investors that have a network that can help us access you know, potential customers was really important as well. Awesome. That's super useful. I know a lot of our listeners are either building businesses of their own or thinking about embarking on it. And funding is always, as you can imagine, right at the top of it. What you said totally resonates with us. We built Motor Partners based on the principles around being investors, operators and innovators. So looking forward very much to tracking your growth and, and hopefully at the right time we can... Uh, uh, maybe we should change our name to Magic Partners and then we can <laughs> pitch you properly. Stuart, tell me, why does the world need a new form of ratings? There's really so many reasons why, but I would say one of the primary reasons, and I think it's important to backtrack a bit and say that our ratings are focused on companies in emerging markets. And when you look at the world, 70% of global GDP growth in the next five years is going to come from emerging markets. But the problem is, is that we don't know much about those emerging markets. We don't know much about the companies. We don't know much about the people that run those companies. And so when you think about comparing two banks in Vietnam or two banks in Mexico or two banks in Indonesia or any other company for that matter, it's incredibly difficult to get the data. 
there are only two or three providers on the planet today that can tell you every publicly traded bank in the world or every publicly traded bank in sub-Saharan Africa. The data just isn't there. And when the data is there, it's not quantified in a way that helps you understand things. One of the things that we look at at Sigma Ratings is where did the credit ratings come from? And the credit ratings have only existed for about 100 years. It was John Moody trying to understand railroad bonds as America went west that created a way to sort of be the intermediary to tell an investor what the chances of repayment on an investment were into someone building railroads or someone building factories as America went west. That was needed 100 years ago. And what's needed now is a way to really understand and quantify that other side of risk. What's my regulatory risk? What's my reputational risk? What's my operational risk? What's my cyber risk? of doing business with a counterparty 100 miles away, 10,000 miles away, or further. That sort of data just isn't available today. And when it is available, it's not quantified in a way that tells the user anything of note. And if I was to ask you which sort of ratings companies you'd displace or, or what sort of companies today, are there natural people that you displace or, or are you creating a totally new category? Well, I'll let, let Gabby answer as well, but I, I think it's a totally new category, but I think it's additive. I don't think it's necessarily displacing. I think it's additive. One of the great things that we just saw recently is that Moody's has appointed someone to be in charge of cybersecurity ratings. And Moody's has announced that they're going to start to add cybersecurity into how they come to a credit decision on an entity. When we look at what we focus on, which is financial crime and governance and sort of the people side of how a company is governed and run, a lot of those factors should be included in, into some kind of a calculation like that as well. If we look just in the last couple of months with Dance Bank, ING, and a litany of others since the financial crisis, there's a real need for how we understand and quantify and price this type of risk into how we do business. You're a trader, Sam. Is this something that, that you could have used when thinking about trading, to have more data than what's out there today to understand that other side of risk that has nothing to do with credit, but has to do with some of those hairier issues that you know in the back of your mind matter. Yeah, I was never a very good trader, so the answer is probably not. That's why I'm not doing it anymore. Thanks for exposing me there. Um, so let's just hone in on that for one moment and talk in layman's terms for, well, really for me, but we'll say save my pride for our listeners. If we're looking at, at Moody's, including cybersecurity in, in their ratings scales, how are they going to go about acquiring that data? What are the processes and what kind of benefit do we think the, the general public will perceive from that? I think there are a range of ways that they could procure that information. One would be through a strategic investment that they've made in a company called Security Scorecard, which is collecting in a non-invasive way hundreds of data points across companies all around the world. I would say another way that they can collect it is the fact that, like Moody's, you know, we go and interact directly with entities that we rate. They interact directly with entities that they rate. So asking for cybersecurity attestations, asking for information about cybersecurity pen testing, about training, those sorts of things are natural next steps that could be built into how you would do a rating process. I think the benefit for a user, whether it's for a credit rating that happens to have cybersecurity built into it, like a Moody's or an S&P or Fitch, or something completely different like what we're doing, is that the consumer of that information is now better informed to make a decision on, is this a company I want to invest in? Is this a company I want to lend money to? Is this a company that I want to even work for? That sort of transparency we think is sweeping across the way that people generally look at the landscape of working at a place, interacting with a place, investing in a place, 
all of those factors need to come to bear. And the only way to make those available is through mechanisms of assessment like the ones that they're working on, the ones that we're working on. That's really useful. Thank you. Since starting Sigma, I mean, being an entrepreneur can be lonely. Fortunately, you've got each other. What are some of the lessons that you've learned on the journey? There have been so many lessons. I think it's hard to choose just one. But one of the biggest that I've learned is the idea of really embracing uncertainty and change as an entrepreneur. I think that on a day-to-day basis, you'll have curveballs just thrown at you from a number of different directions, and you have to be able to embrace that and be able to pivot and be able to be nimble and really accept the fact that you might think that the product that you've built or a feature that you've built is what the market wants, and then you learn from your customers, actually, no, we want something different. You have to be willing to adapt to that. So the ability to embrace that uncertainty on a day-to-day basis has been not only a lesson for me as an entrepreneur, but it's really a life lesson as well. I just want to double-click on what Gabrielle said, and I would say it is lonely. It is a lonely journey, and I think that I personally am incredibly lucky to have a co-founder like Gabrielle, and Gabrielle and I have purposely built a diverse team to make this problem that we know is desperately needed to be solved something that we can take forward and make progress on. You know you're onto a winner when both the co-founders agree on, on the lessons learned. That's that's <laughs> awesome. And I think that, that embracing change is so important. One of my favorite quotes actually of all time is a Henry Ford quote, which is, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And I think, yeah, never in a world where technology is so ubiquitous and pervasive has that been more true. Right, looking down our list of questions, also thinking it might be time for another curveball. (laughs) Let's start with a bit of a vanilla question and then we'll see where it can go. What are the regulators saying about your approach at the moment? Obviously, you're looking at ratings and a fairly traditional segment of the industry in a totally new way. Have you had run-ins or are things going well and you're working hand in hand? I'd say that the regulators are very excited about what we're building. Over the past year, we've established conversations with regulators in more than 15 global markets. We've spent an enormous amount of time educating regulators in the United States. Gabby has been to brief regulators in the UK, including Bank of England and FCA. And so the response in the United States and the UK has been very strong, but the response in the emerging markets has been equally strong. In the emerging markets, the regulators are looking for ways to empower their financial sector They're looking for ways to grow access to their market, to encourage others to come into their market. And they see these ratings as a way to do that. There's a great IFC study out that talks about the importance of transparency, the importance of things like what we're working on to attract FDI, to attract investment. And the regulators that we're talking to from Panama to the UAE to everywhere in between, they see the upside and they see the benefit of moving forward with an approach like this. Yeah, you're still with us. You haven't been sent by the regulator back to Afghanistan. So that's, <laughs> that's probably a good sign. Gabrielle, what more do you think the regulators around the world could do to A, make your life better, but also help the beneficiaries of the service that you're providing? I think that the support that we've gotten from regulators so far has been a really great start. And I think that that regulators are are reluctant to give a stamp of approval to any sort of a commercial tool. But the support that we've gotten has been fantastic. And we've been really happy with the response thus far. I would say that one of the things that regulators could do is first start to use some of this themselves. Regulators, just like a company that's trying to understand their counterparty, regulators are trying to understand 
all of the companies and institutions in their markets. And one of the biggest challenges that a lot of regulators themselves have is capacity to really do this work themselves. And a lot of challenges around what to do with data and how to benefit from data. And so using tools like ours themselves is, is another way that they could not only you know see the benefits directly, but also encourage some additional adoption of what we're doing. But thus far, we've really been happy with the regulator interaction, and we're going to continue to push on that front. And just to add to that, we've had more requests to meet regulators than we've had the ability to service. We have a number of clients here and, and around the world that we're trying to get to, but every month or so, a request from a regulator comes in to brief them and talk to them about this. And I, I think there's a lot of of demand out there to have a market-led solution. What we're doing is not something that a global bank would necessarily do, and what we're doing is not something that a regulator would do, but it's something that everyone agrees is needed. Okay, that's that's brilliant. Thank you. You're entering a new phase of growth, inevitably, on the sort of step change of running a, a startup. What do you think in the next phase, the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity are going to be for you guys? I think you know, one of the biggest challenges is it sort of stems to a, a class that Gabby and myself took at, at MIT called Scaling New Ventures. And we were fortunate enough to have the CEO of a publicly traded company come in and teach a good portion of that class who is also an MIT alum. And I remember looking at Gabby and saying, uh, this isn't going to be so hard. When we get to the point where we start to scale, it'll be easier then. But I think we're already seeing we went from two people to 10 people to 15 people and we'll continue to grow, we'll continue to grow globally, we'll continue to scale out the number of customers and the complexity in terms of the types of customers that we want to deal with. We've had some really amazing opportunities come in recently in tangential areas to our core focus that are very exciting for us. And so when I think about opportunities moving forward, I think the sky's the limit. If you think that there's about 5,000 or so financial institutions in emerging markets that we think we can rate, that's fantastic. But when you start to build out the number of companies that are in emerging markets that we think are eligible or, or, or would benefit from having a rating, that number goes to half a million. And you start to scale up radically from there when you, when you start to blow this out. So our focus is going to be to stay focused. I'm sort of an ideas person. Gabby is as well, but Gabby's also a focus person, which is why she's the chief operating officer and why we make a great team. You've just ticked every investor's box there, I reckon. The sky's the limit is 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 great on target addressable market and then stay focused and you guys definitely i can feel the chemistry you guys are definitely a great team and uh, most importantly to tell the listeners because we're not on tv you both look young and energetic still so that's that's definitely a big box check and i want to take that class scaling new ventures sounds it sounds good you guys have got an impressive advisory board you've got great backers and you've got some pretty incredible talent from what i hear at the firm as well who have been some of your most influential mentors and role models personally. And then on top of that, if you could choose, and this is a curveball, one person that you've always admired to be a, a mentor going forwards, who would that be? I'm going to have to think about the second question, but I can answer the first one. I'd say that, you know, I've had a lot of really fantastic people around me in my career, but, you know, where I'm at right now, I'm, I'm probably most grateful for the mentors that I had at MIT. We had a phenomenal group of, of people that just supported us and supported the idea of us becoming entrepreneurs, particularly at this stage in my career. 
making this change and going in this direction was not an easy decision to make. There are a lot of challenges and and having support to make that decision was something that has been really wonderful. I would also say we've had mentors for the company itself, that we've grown a team of mentors around us and having people that we can go to that we can ask questions about how to build a technology company, how to build a technology team. Some of these things that have really helped us take the company from the two of us to where it is today. And I really believe that they're going to support us as we as we continue to scale and grow. Yeah, just to add to what Gabby said, I, I would say that the MIT experience was phenomenal. There's a, a guy called Bill Allett up at MIT that runs the Martin Center Trust. He used to be a basketball player, somehow got it backwards. I think he studied engineering at Harvard and business at MIT. But a fantastic person and a big backer of Sigma Ratings and, and someone that has built an entire ecosystem of entrepreneurship and connected the school and believed in us. And I think, you know, whether you're starting out in school or you're 50 years old or you're Tom Brady and you've won, you know, four or five Super Bowls, everybody needs somebody in their corner. And having Bill in our corner meant a lot. I think for me, you know, starting in Treasury, I think it's important to note that I was starting in Treasury in my early 20s and was sent out to the National Counterterrorism Center to coordinate the national implementation plan for the war on terrorism and was told that I was going out there and the first person that I saw that I had to report to was a two-star military general named Jeff Slosher. And nothing will straighten you up better than reporting to a two-star general in the Army. And what's interesting is, is I wouldn't say that I'd want to bring you know, more people in necessarily to be mentors. I just wish I could go back and relive the moments that I had with some of those great mentors, whether that's Jeff Slosher, who went on to lead U.S. forces in Afghanistan, our paths ended up crossing again later in time, or folks at the U.S. Treasury Department, or folks even in Ernst & Young when I was a consultant who taught me how to sell. All of those things are, are, are memories that made me who I am, and, and it would be if anything, more time with them that I would cherish the most. That was a great, great answer and a great shout out to both Basketball Bill and to two-star military generals. I've had mentors who I think think they were two-star military generals, <laughs> but they weren't. Guys, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming over and for coming downtown. I can see through the window up towards the Empire State Building your journey back. So very grateful for you coming down. Best of luck. And please let us know how we can help support you on your journey. Thank you, Sam. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry 
industry, the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.